Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. Uh, my name is Jesse Catherine Weber, and this is our first dispatch from the Toronto International Film Festival, which started uh, late last week. It's been, I guess, going for almost a week now. Uh, and I am joined for this episode by... Uh, freelance film critic and festival programmer CJ Prince. Hi Josie, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So we're going to talk uh, about uh, some of the films from the wavelength section and then also I think some of the general highlights of the festival. Uh yeah, uh, I we didn't talk about order. Uh, maybe we can. S- is there anything particular that you feel particularly strong about, strongly about that you want to start with? I mean, I mean, we could we can start. I mean, I, I know the initial focus of this. We wanted to kind of dive into uh, the wavelengths program, mm-hmm. which has always been my favorite program at uh-huh, TIFF since I started attending. Yeah. So I think we can dive into some of the titles. Yeah. Uh, from that program. I'm not sure if you had a preference for which film of the program you'd want to talk about first. Um, why don't we, uh, why don't we maybe start with Neptune Frost? That's maybe the one I have thought the most about because I had a, uh, review of it that came out earlier today. Uh, and that is the film from, uh, um, I'm blanking on the director's names now, from uh, Saul Williams and Anisia Uzeman, uh, which premiered in Director's Fortnite at Cannes, uh, and is now playing in Wavelengths, uh, and it's, uh, a kind of Afrofuturist musical. It's very anti-capitalist and anti-colonial. Uh, and yeah, it's a movie that I liked, but maybe wish that I liked even more. Uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, I um, you know there are, there are, there's a lot going on in this film. There Definitely. are a lot of ideas, a lot of uh you know different elements kind of happening i mean as a general mm-hmm. plot summary it's involving um a hacker named neptune who's uh intersects and played by two different people in the film mm-hmm. and um and then there's also a um an, a miner a coltan miner uh it's called i think Madalusa, or they earn the name mm-hmm. uh, martyr loser king over time and right. essentially they kind of I, I i believe they kind of go to this like alternate parallel dimension of sorts where they you know bond together and start this kind of process of you know like hacking the world 
through technology mm-hmm. to dismantle, mm-hmm. you know, all the oppressive um, systems that have kept them uh, down for so long. Mm-hmm. I, I'll preface it by saying, like, I'm, I'm probably the last person to get the authority or reference sure. on this film um, mm-hmm. there are definitely people who, who mm-hmm. offer better uh, insights but uh, yeah there's a lot going on because I mean uh, uh, the, the martyr loser king character you know he starts out as a, as a minor uh, of Coltan, Coltan which is the uh, you know the, the material the resource that's you know mined in Rwanda where the film's set that's mm-hmm. used to you know basically make a lot of you know the microchip boards and whatnot that that you know, create a lot of the technology that everybody in the Western world uses. And yet, um, mm-hmm. you know, people mining these resources in Rwanda, or just generally, you know, uh, in, in the continent of Africa are basically just like, you know, dismissed, degraded, exploited, and this is their attempt to kind of uh, reclaim things and, mm-hmm. uh, and take, uh, you know, power back in some way. So mm-hmm. there's a lot that the film deals with. In terms of its ideas and the I mean for me I, I there's a lot of really fascinating stuff going on I'm definitely into the idea of the film as um, a general idea and in, in which you know cinema can kind of operate as this uh, refuge or safe space for people especially marginalized communities you know where they can kind of um, you know create an impossible world for themselves to go in and explore um, there are lots of films that, that do this and the film and this film I mean it creates a literal space uh, it has to create basically like a science fiction fantasy plot line for them to essentially fight against you know these extremely m- massive dominant forces uh, there are you know they're in our reality mm-hmm. so for me there are a lot of ideas a lot of good ideas a lot of ideas that are just not really brought up or addressed. Mm-hmm in general, let alone in cinema. Um, it's extremely creative. It's extremely original. Um, mm-hmm. I do have some disappointment because I did kind of feel there was a bit of a distancing element. I feel a lot of it is ideas, but I don't find that the way that the ideas are exactly used or explored in the film are that um, in-depth or that mm-hmm. rewarding to me. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's it's touching on a whole lot of elements a lot of what it touches on is extremely um you know stuff that's just not really touched on or seen and the way they do it through this very expressive form you know with the musical numbers uh the insane amounts mm-hmm. of uh, style that go into you know the cinematography especially the mm-hmm. the production design yeah the one and the uh, costume design too yeah i mean yeah i was just gonna bring up that the martin luther king his uh I really enjoy his jacket that's just made up of a bunch of uh, mm-hmm. keyboard keys, right? <laughs> so Yeah, uh-huh. And yeah. then there's the the dream figure who somehow flies using uh, bicycle wheels as wings. There, yes. There's a lot of interesting visual things like that. And yeah, it it's a movie that I think visually is really specific and yet i think despite having all the interesting ideas that it's dealing with uh the actual like experience of watching it 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 just feels a little bit vague unfortunately yeah it does i i wouldn't necessarily say 
vague myself, but that's just because mm-hmm. I find it's more so that um, I don't think the ideas coalesce. I think that there's it's, uh-huh. it, the value is more so about what it brings up than necessarily what it's doing with the ideas that it brings up. I mean, you know, there 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 are good points into it. I, I like the um, you know the line about how you know these characters are are really behind the screens that we use mm-hmm. and uh, and they're ignored and things like that you know ghosts in the machine so to speak yeah. so yeah i mean um mm-hmm. so i it'll it'll definitely i i'm curious to see its future you know where yeah. it'll travel to how it'll kind of be go over mm-hmm. with audiences now that's screened in north america it's on its way to new york film festival yeah i think a lot of people be, will respond to it yeah, because it is so distinctive and there's nothing wrong with the presentation per se like it's 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 very well made and mm-hmm. um yeah so i'm curious to see how things will go after but it seems like it's gotten a very good reception i have no issues with the film per se it's just yeah yeah you know yeah like it's it's a movie that i would like to see robustly distributed and see how more people respond to it and i'd imagine that it'll have to get some sort of distribution whether it be theatrical or with a streamer yeah i think we'll have to see how that goes i mean i'm not going to dive into the business element too much because i don't really know but i mean obviously yeah some i think some distributors will probably watch this and have no idea Mm -hmm. how to package this movie or sell it so oh yeah um but it's going to get it's going it it, i feel like it's destined to have a a very strong dedicated following as more people Mm -hmm. get to see it yeah, and then let's see. So also at uh, in wavelengths, uh, I think another movie from uh, directors Fortnite is uh, a night of knowing nothing uh, by Payal Kapadia, which was an interesting viewing experience for me because I. I sat down really knowing nothing about it other than that it had been programmed by people who I respect. Uh, and uh, I was at the public screening of it, and Andrea Picard, I think, chose to let the audience in a little bit on the ways in which it's sort of a. Uh, uh, the hybrid of uh, documentary and fiction that the uh, the epistolary device uh, is fiction, but most of the rest of the film centered around uh, the director's experience at the Film and Television Institute of uh, India. Uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Uh, that or yeah, that 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 is based on her actual experience, and there's like news footage and whatnot incorporated uh but it was interesting for me because i didn't know that it was going to be a largely about uh student organizing that happened both at uh the television and film institute and also at other colleges in india which is interesting because i uh maybe shouldn't talk too much about it but um i just started at a a new school and um uh finding that there's a lot of that going on at that school that is uh coming into focus right now so i was surprised by the relevance of the film 
to myself, but, uh, you know, even beyond that, I quite liked it, uh, yeah, so it is, it's this kind of combination of these letters, uh, fictional letters that are being read, uh, that are addressed from, uh, a college student to, uh, a lover who has been separated from her because uh, of their caste differences and so then this is kind of that narrative is put into the larger context of uh really it goes pretty broadly into just like what was going on in India in it's kind of set in like the last roughly five years i think yeah yeah it's um i mean the way i i saw this film back during uh can when it mm-hmm. was premiering in the in the director's fortnight and i like you i i didn't really know much about the film uh i, I went off the very vague plot description <laughs> that the website <laughs> for the fortnight had and um, I didn't expect it to be so bold formally, mm-hmm. and and, and right. you know, and it's the way that you know. Well, actually, a, a piece, you know, something about this film that was interesting was that, you know, after I watched it, I got an email from um, what was it? It was a letter by the director to press mm. who were covering the mm-hmm. film, and she was essentially saying, to, telling everybody to please be very careful in your wording, talking about the film. Mm-hmm. out of the concern of safety for the for the cast and crew who mm-hmm. worked on it given mm-hmm. the subject matter because it right. is very testy subject matter uh yeah. in india so i mean it it starts out with like you said this this exchange of letters between um you know two two students at the at the school that the director attends and but it expands out in this very simplistic way but effective way where um you know it's it seems like the story of just kind of like tragic lost distance kind of love but then you you discover it's because of the caste system that's really keeping them Mm -hmm. apart and that is kind of an entry point into you know expanding the scale and talking about uh all the student organizing in response to um the the government run by uh uh, modi uh you know in india so it is a it's a good primer for i think audiences who are not aware what's been going on in india and the kind of uh you know tensions and craziness that's going on over there but it expands out i mean and that's part of why why i like it because it's not it's not entirely specific to just the directors of experience and experience in our country um you know you related to it with you know you're you're going to to school and seeing the kind of student Mm -hmm. organizing and stuff on campus and for me this is a really slippery film in terms of form because it is combining Mm -hmm. you know dreamlike you know, imagery with, you know, observational documentary. It's multiple film formats. I think it's shot on 8, 16, mm-hmm. digital. Um, you know, it'll switch from, you know, very... Uh, I don't want to say expressionist, but, you know, very, like, um, evocative sequences that rely on atmosphere and, and imagery, but then at the same time it'll kind of switch over to more conventional documentary with narration, kind of providing the context. So it's very hard to pin down. And... What I enjoyed about that is I think that by making a film that's so hard to kind of nail down in one spot, it's kind of evoking the feelings of being adrift and disenfranchised that I think a lot of the younger generation has been feeling 
especially over the last several years. Um, and so in terms of creating a space that's kind of evoking that state of mind and, and this kind of, you know, you're not sure you're not sure what to do, you're not sure how to fight, you're fighting, but you're not sure if it's even an effective way, uh, kind of face with all these very seemingly insurmountable problems, you know, through society and politics, and just trying to do something about it, but unsure if it'll even work. Um, I think the film does a very good job of, of you know, evoking that feeling, and, and doing mm-hmm. it through uh, form, especially. Yeah, definitely. Uh... And yeah, I don't, I don't, like I said, I, I agree that I think it's quite good. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe we can, you know, I found it in some ways kind of formally similar in its sort of adventurous and the sometimes kind of abstract imagery to uh, St. Anne. Uh, also in the wavelength section, uh, but unfortunately didn't respond to that film as much, just because, whereas uh, A Night of Knowing Nothing really has a lot going on in it, it really just felt like in St. Anne there there wasn't a lot to grab onto. I mean, pretty you know, it's the story of, uh, it's directed by, uh, Rain Vermette, a uh, filmmaker from Manitoba, and is, uh, the story of, uh, a woman who returns home after being away for some reason that isn't entirely clear, and, uh, she had left her daughter with her brother and sister-in-law, and so is trying to re-enter back into her daughter's life is the basic plot, and there's not a whole lot more to it than that. Yeah. I, um, it's a good trend. Yeah, it's, it was a good segue, mm-hmm. because they're both very... Um, evocative films in their own way and they both uh you know are relying heavily on form you know with uh saint Anne shot on 16 millimeter mm-hmm. not knowing nothing using, using film but it's using a slew of different formats and and, and uh right. and methods uh saint Anne, i i caught this one back when it premiered at berlin in the mm, spring right. in the form section and yeah it's definitely uh, it has its limitations for sure um, I feel like with that, it kind of, the, the way that Rain Vermet is kind of exploring um, her ideas, it kind of hits a wall at a certain point. And this is also her mm-hmm. first feature. I know she's done a lot of shorts, right. uh, short films, which I have not actually seen. But um, yeah, the, the, the plot line, that, that was kind of my, my issue. I, I, in the film, I think overall is, is quite fine. I enjoy it a lot into, as, as a very mm-hmm. kind of... Um, Evoc, like I keep saying evocative, but like you know, it, it, in terms of the space it's creating something that's very dreamlike, that's very, you know, um, liminal. I guess it's it's it's, you know, mm-hmm. it, it has these moments of. Um, I mean, it's also the, the 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 cinematography, the texture of it as well. It's a very textured film, I'd say. Yeah, um, and like visually, it is like a pretty pleasant film to sit in a room and watch. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the the opening shot alone, with, with just kind of observing the 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 sky and that very kind of like, 
I forget if it's approaching sunset or, or sunrise, but um, mm-hmm. you know, especially shooting on sixteen millimeter, it looks it looks really pleasing. So, and the film has the space where it can kind of go anywhere at any point in time, and you can just go with it. So it's a very freeing kind of space that she creates, but it's also one that's, uh, you know, uh, diverting. I guess, or it has a lot of diversions, a lot of like, kind of like non sequiturs in a way it'll just kind of go off and have like a sequence uh it also brings in you know like dreamlike stuff or even supernatural there's this really one of the highlights i think is the sequence where um the spirit of one of their parents kind of gets superimposed while they're having dinner Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and it's a really it's a really nice sequence but yeah i mean there are ultimately I, i i liked it up to a point and i think that's because at a certain point um uh i feel like it kind of runs out of steam with its uh with what it's doing and then there's also um this narrative element which honestly part of me kind of wishes there wasn't really a narrative mm-hmm. element if it just mm-hmm. straight up was just this kind of like very evocative like 16 millimeter mm-hmm. uh shot you know more of a mood piece right, yeah. than anything because when those scenes happen especially in the latter section uh it's it's kind of painful at certain points because it feels like mm-hmm. such forced exposition uh, mm-hmm. you know, being delivered in a way that's very stilted. It kind of took me out of things. Um, I wasn't sure how to feel about the, the, the ending as well, which, you know, I won't get into the details, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's, it ha- I mean, it is kind of, you know, speaking of the wavelengths program generally, uh, mm-hmm. this is probably the most wavelengths feature, I think, this year. Like, probably. if you want to find, like, a quintessential yeah. wavelengths film or something to point out, like, the more extreme end of it, this would be it. It's also the only Canadian feature, uh, mm-hmm. When I saw this at Berlin, I was pretty certain that it would end up here, um, mm-hmm. because it just kind of makes perfect sense. Uh, but yeah, so it, it, it was a little more mixed. But I don't want to sound like I'm being, you know, super negative on yeah. the film. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's there for, you know, people want to expand their horizons and give it a shot. Go for it. And then I think for the people who, you know, are more familiar with, um, with filmmaking like this, uh, mm-hmm. there's going to be, you know, plenty for them to kind of. Uh, take it and enjoy. Yeah, and like I would say, in terms of it being kind of the the most wavelengths, uh, certainly of the features. I didn't see all of the shorts, but it is the movie of the features that uh, is the most similar experience to watching the shorts that tend to be, you know, even more out there. Yeah, and I know we. Uh, I'll just. A shout out to the shorts program briefly. There was only mm-hmm. one this year. I'm very happy it returned. They didn't have a shorts program last yeah, year. Yeah, right. Um, and there, there is definitely good stuff in there, uh, like Nicola Pareto's film Dear Chantel and Michael Robinson's Polycephaly and D. Um, those are harder to track down. I think some of them are ending up at the New York Film Festival. But I always say to people, yeah. like, go for the shorts and wavelengths. There's usually really yeah, good stuff definitely. There. I think that is like, and that you know, we'll, I'll be, we're going to be covering. Uh, New York Film Festival uh, later this month, and it's the same thing where, like, in Currents, the the shorts are like, these are the things that you're not gonna see somewhere else. Uh, so yeah. even, even if you might find it to be kind of a mixed bag, I think it's a cool thing to expose yourself to at the festival. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, the other features in Wavelengths, uh, I think Tsugua Diaries and Futura, uh, which again, I guess a huge, a large amount of this section comes from the director's Fortnite uh, section at Cannes, which is not 
especially usual. Uh, I think we'll have uh, coverage of those two movies uh, from New York, and then the other one is The Girl and the Spider, which we talked about a little bit when it premiered at Berlin. Uh, and that's another movie that uh, I quite like it's it's a it's a very i i really like the the zercher brothers ramon mm-hmm. and, and sylvan i think are their names uh i yes. i really enjoyed the strange little cat it was such a completely like unique not to repeat myself mm-hmm. but strange movie uh very beguiling mm-hmm. i think and then uh and this is kind of i mean this doesn't have the same appeal in that sense because it's very much a continuation of what they did in that last film so it doesn't right, kind of have yeah. that like what is this you know quality of mm-hmm. the first film um but it does expand out the scale significantly uh, mm-hmm. in a way that i find you know fascinating in, in other ways i really enjoy that movie also it's surprisingly like a very um horny movie like it's, <laughs> yeah it's, it's like everyone is staring at each other in this movie like they mm-hmm. want to like go crazy on them and and i'm surprised i was surprised at how sexually charged the movie was because the strange little cat did not really have that this one is really uh really strong on that but i just like you know like it's it's i really enjoy their very rigorous you know approach to filmmaking and Mm -hmm. the kind of way that every shot is kind of just so unexpected and unconventional its construction but it all kind of comes together it feels very um this organized chaos so i yeah i i'm quite a fan of that when i saw it at berlin i was really happy that their Mm follow-up was you know um a really good one i'm happy it's here because i know tiff typically does not like to tiff is very premier status focused right so they don't really like to program a lot of berlin titles but berlin was like an insanely good lineup this year like i i was blown away so i'm happy that some of the titles are making it in um i know i was i was i was honestly bummed not to not to digress too much but um what do we see when we look at the sky didn't show up here which kind of shocked me it's at new york instead that was that seemed like a a very obvious kind of wavelength movie yeah, so I'm happy, like, I mean, I, I, I'm i getting the sense that they probably had a very limited slots for the Berlin titles based on the premiere mm-hmm. status, but um, mm-hmm. this was, yeah, this I was I was Happy Girl and the Spider, and I, I've seen the other features, I'll just quickly say that, uh, yeah. the Sugua Diaries, I like to just call it the August Diaries, because it's just August mm. backwards, sure. um, is very, um, yeah, that's a really fun movie. Um, I didn't mm-hmm. expect it to be so lightweight and fun, but it's... I think one of the better films I've seen that's kind of tackling the pandemic head-on. Right. Because that factors in. I don't want to say too much other than the reason why August is backwards in the title is because the film is goes backwards in time. Uh, memento style, I guess. Um, <laughs> and it's a very neat kind of thing. It's essentially this film that kind of... It's it's like, how do you make a film that doesn't really have a purpose? Um <laughs> And and that and the way that Miguel Gomez and, and um, Marine Fazendero attack that is is quite entertaining. So, yeah, definitely definitely a highlight. I hope people check that out at uh, New York if they weren't able to catch it at Toronto. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's the uh, the you know I think it was surprising maybe not to see it in the main slate just because of uh, Miguel Gomez's uh, pedigree, but. They, I guess, were kind of holding it off to be the opening film for Currents, which in some ways is nice because uh, it costs less. Yeah, I think. Um, well, isn't isn't Futura in the main slate? 
I forget. Yeah, Futura is in the main. I think most of the they're all either in the main slate or currents. The features I think the yeah. two that are in currents are maybe uh, Saint Anne and the Sugu Dryers, and the yeah. other four are in the main slate. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a lot of fun. Futura, I, I will, I'll be honest, I wasn't a big fan of Futura. Mm-hmm. I find it's kind of, I found it to be a bit uh, one note. It's also, it's very long. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think by the hour mark, I was kind of over it. <laughs> then I had another hour to go or 50 minutes to go. So, right. uh, but, you know, it's, it's I, I'm, you know, but uh, August Diaries or Sugu Diaries is, is uh, quite good. It's a, it's, a, it's a very strong lineup um, mm-hmm. with Wavelengths this year. It always is. I mean, Andrea Picard is kind of like yeah. a go-to for me. I, I pretty much put full faith in her choices. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then, yeah, I think uh, there were maybe some other... Uh, highlights that we wanted to talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the Berlin titles that didn't manage to make it in, and then a couple can competition movies, and then I guess uh, Benediction was a world premiere. Right. Uh, maybe we can just go in order. Sure. Uh, yeah, uh, so Petite Maman is the uh, Berlin film, uh, the new Celine Siama film, uh, which is mm-hmm. about, uh, a young girl who, uh, has just experienced the death of her grandmother, and while, uh, kind of going to clean out, uh, the grandmother's house, uh, her mother kind of disappears because, uh, presumably the just kind of emotional labor is too much for her, and she, you know, then, uh, uh, there's this very unconcerned with metaphysics time travel element where the, uh, the, the world that she's in and the world of her mother at that same age kind of collide, uh, and she's able to uh, meet her, and that's what the bulk of the movie is, is about the relationship between, uh, her and her mother at her own age, uh, the two being played by, uh, twins, uh, Josephine and Gabrielle Sands, and I think it's been interesting to see the reception to this film after the kind of uh, ecstatic reaction to Siama's last film, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, I think I think right from the beginning, people were just kind of surprised that after having that huge success at uh, Cannes, she would take this movie to Berlin, and then I think there are people who then saw it at Berlin and liked it, but maybe saw it as a little bit more of a minor work, and I, I, I would kind of push against that. I think it's re- you know, it's a very short movie also. Uh, it's only 70 minutes, but I thought it was really strong and just about as good a movie as Portrait of a Lady on Fire is. Yeah. 
I will. I'll be honest. I've been a fan of Celine Sciamma's work. I haven't seen her first feature, Water Lilies, but I, I really enjoy Tomboy and I like Girlhood. Uh, honestly, I, I did not like Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I, I it was my least favorite film of hers that I've seen mm-hmm. because it felt very. Uh, it was in a different register than other works. It felt very prestige and, and kind of broadened its appeal that didn't really work right. for me um and so coming into this one which you know i saw berlin i had no idea what the film was about or what was going to happen mm-hmm. and then it kind of it kind of just bowled me over completely i feel like it was a movie that was designed for me because it has so many ideas that are very resonant to me when when watching films i mean you've kind of given up the ghost away of the, of the main kind of hook of the film sure. uh which i mean when i saw it at the time i didn't know that was going to happen so yeah. uh the I, comparison I it, yeah. yeah i think most people by the time it had been yeah. in berlin knew that that was going to be yeah it's it it's an unfortunate reality at the time i was kind of you know very frustrated that some people were just kind of blurting it out because i'm like so much of that mm-hmm. film is about the discovery process but it's just an inevitable right. reality how are you going to market the movie how are you going to cut a trailer yeah. how are you going to cut around that but and, um and also i think part of that discovery is in the way that it is navigating this kind of conceit uh yeah so it's it's this the comparison point I use for it, I mean, Celine Siam has, has said that Miyazaki's been mm-hmm. one of her influences on this. And I think, uh, for me, actually, the film that was not a Miyazaki film, but under Studio Ghibli, I think, was uh, when Marnie was there. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, and, and it's this idea of, you know, using, again, like, using cinema, and especially cinema's way it can kind of distort, distort and percept time to kind of create this very magical, realist, and extraordinary scenario. Mm-hmm. And then kind of bring out these um this kind of well of emotions that can come from that and and that idea like the moment i realized what it was doing i just kind of said to myself like oh no like this movie's gonna Mm -hmm. have me immediately because this is exactly it's kind of like a very prestigious doctor who in a sense with the way it kind of deals with time but (laughs) Mm -hmm. um it yeah but that's totally up my alley it's totally my thing and Mm -hmm. then um and i think the kids are great i i'm kind of glad that she went back to dealing with you know like children and adolescents because she she Mm -hmm. has this real amazing skill for working with child actors um Mm -hmm. and yeah I, i i was totally over the moon about it it's my favorite movie of the year um, mm-hmm. I, I've seen it several times since, and mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't have the same punch, but I can't deny it. Like, it, it was really, really emotional the first time I watched that. It had a lot of uh, uh, an effect on me. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I was a big fan. It's my favorite film of hers. I think that it's a. I think it's a major work uh, because yeah. it's. It is so. It's kind of like hermetically sealed. Like it's in. It's in its own like very tiny enclosed environment, but it's so precise and and mm-hmm. it, and exact in what it's doing and there are so many sequences and shots that are just pulled off really well i love the entire opening section when they go to the house and the mother and and, and claremathon's you know cinematography is is mm-hmm. you know fantastic i think they shot this on 16 millimeter um mm-hmm. or a very grainy 35 but the um yeah and then like others i mean like i think the one i think people point to is when you know, she wants to go to sleep to, to travel to tomorrow faster, and then it, it cuts with the light switch flicking, which is just like mm-hmm. those little touches are really satisfying. Yeah. Um, she 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 shows a level of control and precision here that I really like. So yeah, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of the film, and mm-hmm. uh, I've been really curious to see the reaction. I'm a little disappointed people are seeing it as more of a minor work because I think that 
uh, it has a really big emotional uh, weight to it. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's a uh, a line towards the end of the film uh, that I I won't spoil that uh, really really spoke to me. Uh, yeah, well maybe then we can move on to uh, my favorite movie of the year so far, and I will. It's another movie that kind of reveals itself slowly so maybe i'll let you decide how much of it to spoil and that's uh sure. drive my car the right, yeah. hamaguchi film yeah uh it's it's one of my favorites of the year um yeah i mean this is an adaptation of the Haruki murakami short mm-hmm. story which i have not read and this is obviously a very expansive version considering yep. it's almost three hours long for a yeah. novella, a short story I think is significantly shorter than that. Uh, you know, there there is a lengthy prologue that kind of establish thing, establishes things. There's this um, a, a, a theater actor, playwright, director um, who has a wife that's a screenwriter. They have this very, very odd relationship between each other. And there's a little bit of filling in the gaps over the top, over that prologue, which is about 30, 40 minutes that kind of fills in, you know, some details. But then that prologue kind of abruptly stops. And then it leads into, it, it flashes forward when now the, the, the husband is in Hiroshima doing a staging of the Chekhov play Uncle Vanya. And he is, so it's charting that process and then he loves his car which is this really nice looking red mm-hmm. sob and the part of the insurance uh for for basically for very convoluted reasons he's not able to drive his car while he's doing this residency putting on this play so they give him a driver which he's not happy about because he uses the car mm-hmm. as this kind of like creative uh hub and in, in practicing for the the play that he's putting on and uh, he ends up kind of bonding with the driver that's assigned to him, who's this very young, quiet uh, woman. And then they kind of open up to each other over time and are able to kind of um, process their emotions, their very similar emotions with each other. That's as vague as I'll get. <laughs> I mean, sure. uh, it's, yeah, I, I really enjoy this movie. Uh, I'm a big yeah. fan of, of uh, uh, Rizuke Hamaguchi as a, as a director. I mean, I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of Happy Hour. And, I mean, his his streak is kind of insane because you have Happy yeah. Hour, Asako, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, and now this one. And that's like mm-hmm. an insane run of, uh, mm-hmm. of features back to back to back to back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this one is so much about, I mean, it, it's, it is about grief. I actually think thematically it's quite a simplistic movie it's really about you know like grief loss and trying Mm -hmm. to deal with those emotions how do you move forward how do you continue to live but the way he does it in this kind of very patient very deliberate way of kind of unfolding the story and developing the characters um you know and and then also tying in the the source material you know because obviously with Mm -hmm. uncle vanya you don't have to i haven't read the play myself but you don't have to like know about the play to really it'll enrich your experience if you know it or or read it but uh you can still you know uh relate to what the film is doing but Mm -hmm. the way that he kind of is looking at you know artistic expression and creativity as this kind of uh way this this cycle you know of like life imitating art 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 imitating life uh Mm -hmm. it all balances together in this really um like very lovely moving way um it's it's a film that's just so accomplished 
in I think every respect and um, yeah and I'm really happy that people really took to it at can and and beyond I hope it has a good life because he I think he's like a very major director he's quickly established Absolutely. himself as like one of the best working today so I hope that this kind of finally you know gets him that kind of platform in North America that he deserves yeah definitely I mean I have also really liked all of the last three of those movies since he kind of broke out with happy hour uh and so you know when this I think got the strongest reaction to any of his films it can I was almost skeptical just because I was like, oh, why is you know, I mean, he made a movie earlier this year yeah. that's great he's made, you know, he had another movie in Cannes competition that was well received but not exceptionally but it did I don't know if I'd you know, it is my favorite of his movies, I don't, you know, I haven't seen his early work, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's like a step up but it I can definitely see why it's the one that has had the most people respond to it. I mean, one of the other aspects of the film that uh, I found really fascinating is that this production that the main character is directing of Uncle Vanya is uh, multilingual. Uh, he speaks Japanese, and some of the actors speak Japanese, but there are uh, other actors speaking other languages, uh, I guess mostly from East Asia, but I just found that like the the process of seeing how they work this production and rehearse it and get it in shape, I found that to be really fascinating. Well, yeah, uh, just to, just to expand on that a little bit, um, the the process. I mean, that that's that's a very you know fascinating element itself because I think yeah, it's, it's I think you know Japanese, um, Korean sign language, Tagalog, and I believe Cantonese are the main languages used. Mm -hmm. But the um, yeah, so I mean, it, for anyone who's not sure how that works, everybody speaks the dialogue in their own native tongue. Mm -hmm. And when the play is shown, it'll put the dialogue up in subtitles in every language, so everybody watching will understand. But it allows the actors to, you know, uh, deliver, uh, you know, in their, in their own na native language, I guess. But the um, right. what is kind of the, one of the meta elements about it, and this has a lot of meta elements, is that actually I believe the rehearsal process, the the development process for this, is identical to how Hamaguchi does his own films because I, I remember right. I heard him speak once and he talked about how he will rehearse his yes. script yeah 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 repeatedly I, with I the actually, actors. yes I interviewed him earlier this year for Will of Fortune and Fantasy and asked about that and yeah there's like a very extensive rehearsal with just the script yeah I, I believe his logic I, you 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 spoke to him literally and I just heard him mm -hmm. uh, two years ago so I believe his idea was that he wanted to try and drain out like make it so monotonous in terms of how to do it so right. that once they're yeah, actually yeah. on set and doing this then that kind of gives the actors freedom to improvise but in more subtle ways or emotional ways because the dialogue is just mm -hmm. pretty much inherent to them like a muscle memory which i find is really fascinating and it works here too um but yeah there's just a lot of i don't know he just he has such an unassuming direction and style and yet it also is very rich and complex and it's a really lovely blend and, and in terms of like you know just drama and and narrative yeah there aren't many people 
doing it like he's doing right now. So, yeah, yeah I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then uh, the other can competition film, which I think we also both like a lot, is Memoria, the new a Peachet Pong bureaucratical film with Tilda Swinton, which, like, again, is a movie that is very specific in revealing what it yeah. is that it's doing. It kind of centers around uh, the beginning of the film. Uh, Swinton's character hears this noise uh, that you know, initially she thinks it's maybe some kind of construction, but eventually she's unable to explain, and so it, you know, there's different elements of her trying to sort of explore it, and it's interesting that it doesn't necessarily seem like finding the source is necessarily what she's most interested in. The first step she kind of takes is, I think, uh, her friend who she's staying with connects her with an audio engineer just to try to recreate the sound, and that's a really fascinating sequence. And then her, uh, both her relationship with that audio engineer and her kind of continuing journey of just like trying to yeah uh just sort of come to terms with this sound uh takes her in a lot of different directions and then i think the end of the film which we don't have to talk about is brings it into focus in an interesting way yeah i mean that that is it's it it's it's a different direction for weird South Dakota or Joe, um, mm-hmm. as he sometimes likes to be called, because okay. this is unlike his other films in that this one hinges so much on this kind of revelation later on in the film as to what is going on. Because for the first right. chunk of this movie, I kind of was just like, what is this leading to? What is happening? It's in some ways I think it's actually more radical than his prior features because there isn't mm-hmm. this. There aren't these kinds of like moments and digressions or diversions or, or, or you know things like the little like that that sequence with the fish in uncle boon me these or, mm-hmm. or um there was also i think in syndromes in a century there's this kind of like really lovely sequence um that kind of takes you out of the main narrative for about 20 minutes so he doesn't have that kind of playfulness it's not bifurcated you know mm-hmm. like say tropical malady or syndromes um so it's more radical in how it's so grounded for most of it, and at times you think it's meandering in a way, because it's just kind of, you know, doing a lot of stuff and you're not sure how it works, but then in that last section of the film, um, it all kind of snaps into focus through this one sequence. And typically I'm not so big on that sort of approach, but at this point it just Mm -hmm. works insanely well. Like, it just, it completely blew me away. And, you know, without going into details, it's, it's the joke I make to people as a, as a corny joke is that this is, you know, this is the closest he'll, he'll, this is the closest he will get to, like, a Marvel or superhero origin movie, but that is not, that's not a spoiler anyway, it's just a very <laughs> yeah. silly joke, but the, but more generally speaking, you know, it's the way that he kind of talks about looking at 
you know, memory less as a subjective or personal experience, and that is actually something that could be collective and part of, uh, you know, a very natural experience, uh, tied into nature, I should say, an environment. And the way he kind of pulls that in and suddenly crystallizes that is so well done. And it's like, it's like he literally just kind of like completely changes your way of thinking in doing so and completely changes your perspective. And by the end of the film, I was so like, you know, like not to use the term, it's always was like as a transporting, transportive or transporting mm-hmm. feeling. And I was so just kind of like at ease and relaxed after watching the film, especially the last section. I, I was so you know, delighted to see it. I mean, I, it was the first film I watched in a cinema since last, since March 2020. So mm-hmm. I say, I just, I was like, I'm going to say this is the only, this, he's the only filmmaker I was willing to actually do that for, because I know how important it is to see his films theatrically. And he's refusing to show his film digitally in any way. Right. Um, and that makes sense. I mean, it's unfortunate. Like mm-hmm. I'm not one to tell people to go and take the risk, but if people are willing to accept that risk, like, yes, absolutely go and see it in a cinema. Um, but if not, you can wait until it becomes available to you or if it's safe enough to go to a cinema. Um, but it is a film that really benefits from, uh, you know, seeing it in a way so that you have to totally immerse yourself in it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's by far the best thing I've seen at the, at the festival this year. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm very happy that, you know, when he's making his most commercial effort yet because it has neon behind it, Tilda Swinton's in it and it's totally uncompromising and in some ways kind of a development for him that I find really, uh, really welcoming. And, and I'm happy yeah. that he's able to still be himself and be as uncompromising, even when his audience is getting a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it is, it will be fascinating to see what the reaction to this is and how widely uh, Neon distributes it. Uh because it is, you know, I think a movie that I got the impression from the audience a lot of people have been very frustrated by. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I would agree with with all of what you've said, that it's it's really strong and like an interesting direction for him to go in. And then I think maybe the last movie then that we want to talk about uh and the only uh toronto premiere though it's pretty quickly gonna be i think in competition at san sebastian is the new uh terrence davies film uh uh benediction which uh i had only seen i think i've seen one or two of the early shorts that he did and then I saw A Quiet Passion so it was interesting that though these two most recent movies are both about poets, uh, this new one is about Siegfried Sassoon uh, they're very different movies Uh, and yeah, it kind of it charts a lot of his life Uh, the early part of the film is mostly concerned with his experience with World War One. Uh, he's, uh, 
attempts to be a conscientious objector and is kind of thwarted in that attempt uh and that but then uh it kind of starts in that section and then uh transitions into uh really being about the uh relationships uh throughout his life. Uh, he is, uh, Sassoon is a, a gay man, uh, but you see pretty early on in the film there's a, a flash forward, uh, and you see that he has a son, uh, and he does eventually, uh, marry a woman. Uh, and yeah, it... So yeah, you see kind of how his relationships with different men sort of maybe lead him there, and then also how that, uh, you know, he's put, the bulk of the movie maybe is him being played as a younger man by Jack Loden, but then there's that flash forward towards the beginning, and then also for maybe the last 30 minutes of the movie, he's played as an older man by, uh, Peter Capaldi, and you see kind of how his his different some of the choices that he's made and some of the things he's been forced into uh how that affects him as a much older man yeah i i am terence davies is one of my favorite filmmakers i think um Mm -hmm. uh you know his his films are immense i don't like people have said he just he doesn't seem to have the ability to make a bad film Mm -hmm. um you know like uh Distant Voices Still Live is quite powerful. The Long Day Closes, like, that was a wreck after seeing that movie. It's, it's mm-hmm. so it's so amazing. And then, um, you know, Quiet Passion is, is, is great as well. It's a really, like, heart-rending movie. Um, and Cynthia Nixon's, like, so good in that. But So this one is, for me, it is good. I like the film. It is only disappointing in the context of his other works because it is more of a minor effort, I find. And I think that this is because of the subject matter. You're right, it is, it's hard not to look at this as a kind of... Uh, it's, not, it's hard not to look at it in a comparative sense with A Quiet Passion because both mm-hmm. films are talking about poets, they touch on similar ideas, but the difference is Emily Dickinson was so such a not cloister, but like isolated individual. Mm-hmm. She didn't she didn't do much. Um, and she kind of suffered and was a very tragic figure for that. Sigurd Sassoon lived a very different life. He was quite free mm-hmm. for a time. He was involved with the Bright Young Things generation, all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he was able to have these multiple relations with men and whatnot, you know, at a time when <laughs> that was obviously not uh, not a popular thing to do. But um mm-hmm. At the same time, he kind of ends up in a similar place as Emily Dickinson in the end. Like, he still yeah. suffers. And, and and the film is very pessimistic. Davies is a very pessimistic uh, filmmaker in the way that he deals with time and aging and, and all that. It's generally the, the, the message of his films is just like, you know, you get older and everything you love just goes away and then eventually you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, you know, sometimes it's a tall order for, uh, for people to, to take in. But I always right. love it. I find that he's so he has such a knack for taking people's kind of inner turmoil, their emotional turmoil, and then kind of uh, you know putting it on screen in these very baroque and, and epic ways that I think match the kind of you know uh, inner state of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one, part of it I think is that 
and again, like, it is a very moving film. It's it's good in a lot of ways. It just kind of held me back at a point, and I think part of this is because of Sassoon as a subject. I just think that Terrence Davies didn't know the right tack to take with him. Mm. So it feels more like it's about Terrence Davies because it touches on his own ideas and themes um, and kind of, you know, transplants that onto Sassoon's life. You know, Sassoon is essentially portrayed as this man who cannot find any sense of peace or as Terrence Davies says, salvation in his life because, you know, he participated in the First World War. He was Mm -hmm. appalled by participating Mm -hmm. in it and by the government, how it treated all these men who, who died and suffered. He tries to protest. It's undercut. The they everyone just shoves him into they shove him into a hospital and claim that he just has shell shock. And then you know he's trying to find this kind of peace, this this solace, and he's trying to find it through other people. And yet he's always failed mm-hmm. on that front. Whether it's the men that he has relationships, then he goes through conformity and he's trying marriage and he's trying you know fatherhood and all that. And then he's turning to religion and he'll never get it. He just will never be able to get right. it. And so he's just this very tragic figure who will never, he just basically, um, I, I think it, well, there's that kind of point in which it's, it's juxtaposing a poem about um, a, a disabled war veteran, and it's kind of putting in the context of how, you know, just the act of getting older, you know, makes one disabled as well, because they're, they're they, right. they, they lose so much, and they're kind of, you know, ignored, and uh, and your life just kind of degrades because your usefulness in society is just, you know, mm-hmm. less and less. Which, I mean, that point, you know, that can lead to some extra discussions. But it's, um, you know, the way Davies does this is, you know, still very evocative. But I just feel like, you know, in, in A Quiet Passion, I find it worked much better. And I think a lot of that hinged on, I think, Cynthia Nixon, the cast. and uh, But this one, it feels a little more like he's kind of transposing his own personal stuff onto mm. this this figure but i mean it's still mm. extremely effective um and i think that uh it's also insanely entertaining for a long time i think terrence davies i just really love the way terrence davies writes dialogue how quippy mm-hmm. and 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 witty it is um and there's like a ton of zingers here obviously that's not everyone's cup of tea but i was a huge fan of it and i was just kind of like mm-hmm. laughing for a large chunk of this movie yes yeah um so, it's definitely one of the... In terms of the world premieres at TIFF, it's the best one I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that, that TIFF supports him, because a lot of the other festivals don't. Terrence Davies' right, work yeah. is like his characters. It's always not given the respect <laughs> or yeah. it deserves. Um, so, I'm glad TIFF is screening it. So, yeah, it, uh, it's it's definitely a good film. Although, I always tell people, like, yeah, seek out as much Terrence Davies as you can, because he's an incredible filmmaker. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that is uh, all that we wanted to talk about. Uh, I'm going to be back in a moment with an interview with uh, Nicholas Pereira about his uh, short film, Dear Chantal. Uh, But before that, uh, CJ, uh, thanks for coming on. Is there uh, anything that you'd like to let our audience know about? Yeah. So, well, thank you for having me on, Jesse. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I, so I am doing TIFF coverage. Uh, actually, I reviewed Benediction for the film stage, along with several other titles. So you could go there. Uh, and you can also, I did, um, I, I do festival dispatches for Edge Media Network. And you can see my thoughts there on titles like uh, Memoria and, and uh, 
Bergman Island, and a couple others. But um, and then also, yeah, I am a I, I do film programming for the Art Gallery of Hamilton Film Festival, which is in Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, that's happening in October. Uh, it is a hybrid festival, so there will be online and in-person options. So if you are interested in there, if you're in Ontario or around the Hamilton area, um, you know, go check out the it's called the AGH Film Festival, and you can see uh, the lineup should be out very soon. All right, cool. Then uh, we will be, or I will be right back. All right, I am now joined by the director of Dear Chantal, uh, Nico Pereira. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And thanks for inviting me to talk about the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, do you maybe want to briefly describe what the film is? Sure. I, I mean, the film was a commission, first of all. It was, a, mm. it was a commission from a festival in Spain called Punto de Vista, which is a festival that is traditionally a documentary film festival, but mm. that um, has been very sort of in the avant-garde world of documentary cinema. So it, it welcomes a lot of fiction in the world of documentary. Mm which I think is quite interesting. And particularly the last three years of the festival had a very, uh, the programming was very close to what I guess is traditionally called experimental film. But anyway, they commissioned a series of films that were, the idea is that it was to make a letter to a, to a filmmaker that we not necessarily admired, but just a letter to a filmmaker that we felt like mm -hmm. writing. and or in the in the form of a film so like an epistolary film and mm -hmm. i actually the last film i saw before the pandemic hit in a theater was news from home of chantal ackerland mm -hmm. so it stayed in my mind and actually i was writing a screenplay very different to that or and very different to to my film querida chantal um, but thinking a little bit about that system that she created for that film that I liked a lot. And uh, so she was on my mind, her films were on my mind, they usually are, I liked her, she's one of her mm -hmm. directors. And then I also had read a book that my wife gave me as a present, it's a while now, for me, two years ago now, of that Chantalakerman wrote called My Mother Laughs which is a book that was published, I don't know if it was published after she died or, if, or close to the time she died, but it's like a, it's a kind of autobiography of autobiography and also a book about a relationship with her mom. And in that book, she talks about going to Mexico quite often because her mm. sister lived there or lives there and the grandmother was there and spent a lot of time, the, the, not the grandmother, her mother, her mother was there. And she always spoke about Mexico with that kind of disdain, but not because of the country, but because of the world that she would inhabit when she would travel, mm. uh, which is kind of like this upper class uh, world isolated from, from the rest of society. That's kind of the world that her sister and husband, I guess, the, sort of like the sister's husband inhabited. And she seemed to care about them, but at the same time she wrote in that book, she writes about them a little bit as in people that live these parallel lives to, to the rest of society. Anyway, she was not really fond 
was obvious of her visits mm-hmm. to Mexico. So I envisioned that at some point she didn't want to stay with with the with the family and that she would try to rent a place and um, and that my sister was renting her house and that Chantalaka ran by chance in Craigslist, you know, was looking for a house mm-hmm. and found my sisters and asked to, or Airbnb or something like that, and asked to rent it. And then I found out that that Chantal Ackerman wanted to rent my sister's house, so I got excited mm-hmm. and, and, co- and continued the communication as opposed to my sister who didn't know who she was. Mm-hmm. And so the film started with that idea, and then I tried to you know, think a little bit about what that conversation would actually be like, but also about how I could... I was thinking about her films at the same time, to the tone of her films that has influenced me so much, the epistolary form, which is a form that she's, she'd used right. quite a bit. So in a way, I was trying to make an, an homage, a letter, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also something that didn't feel necessarily only, um, only that, but also something that felt uh, unique to... To, to me and to my situation and mm-hmm. to my sister, my relation with my sister, the, the, the actual space. So it was like a very fortunate commission also because it came during mm-hmm. the pandemic. It was difficult right. to make films during the pandemic, but um, especially at that time, nobody, I wasn't thinking about at all shooting a film or anything like that. Right. And uh, it was nice because I, I was, I generally don't live in Mexico City now because I teach in, in the States, but mm-hmm. um, I was teaching via Zoom, so I was living in Mexico because right. I could go there. I was I was living actually with my parents and my sister in this kind of country home, and it was nice. And uh, I came up with this idea: I could, I was living with my sister already, so I could shoot. And it was just the two of us in in her house that was that was renovating some stuff, so it was kind of empty, and so it was kind of nice to to be able to do work under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, once you had that commission and sort of came up with the restriction of it's going to be this letter, these letters to Chantal Ackerman, but they're going to be about this very specific purpose. Was that restriction helpful in the writing process? It was not like that at the beginning. So at the beginning, it was that. It was this kind of like that that she contacted to rent an apartment and that was our link and that was my link to her and that's how I was able to contact her. And I wrote, it took me a little, I mean, at times, so it took me a little while to sort of come up with what it is now. Mm -hmm. But at some point, it was a lot more, a a lot less matter-of-fact about, you know, Mm -hmm. the internet, uh, you know, what's around the house, you know, the things that you would talk about in one of these things. And I took sort of a very big diversion into me talking about about her films and us having conversations way beyond this, but it felt completely out of place. It also felt very not Chantal-like. One of the things I love about her films is that they are so matter-of-fact. There's so much about humanity, but they're but linked that to to sort of the how there is something that it, in that she finds that she's able to do with the mundane that even though it seems so dry so matter of fact so there's nothing beyond it you realize that everything is there like you don't need to talk to to come up with sort of um 
conversations that seem deeper and more philosophical, let's say, or whatever, to actually be able to to penetrate into you know how someone's feeling or 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 a situation. I don't know exactly how to say it, but basically, I was writing a lot more in terms of psychology, in terms of the films, trying to make connections, trying to also, I, I was writing things almost as if, so I had a lot of information about her life in Mexico through the book that she wrote. So it's not like I had, you know, so I, I took a lot of, I, re, I re-looked at th- passages in the book and I started writing things in relation to that. But then I felt that it was also, it was like a betrayal of her uh, legacy which mm-hmm. is a lot more about about restraint about not just letting your like your ideas be sort of there, there was something vulgar about divulging my, my my analysis of her work right put it that way there was something nice about that restraint about me I think you can sense in the film that I want to meet her, to spend time with her, to do, have all this stuff with her, but I'm limited by the fact that we're talking via Craigslist or via Airbnb to talk about, you know, whether there's heaters in the house or not, and whether the plumbing is working properly, and um, you know, whatever, like very simple mm-hmm. things. And I, but I like, I think that is it mirrors to some degree uh, my relationships to the films as well. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that uh, you you really hadn't thought about making a film during COVID before the idea for this film came up. Did it end up being a pretty smooth shooting process? Yeah, I mean, because it was so simple. Right. It was these kind of little projects are a gift because they require no, you know, pr- Producing something is always a little bit of a nightmare. So it's fun and everything mm-hmm. and you have a good time, but there's always, you know, all these things in your mind and, you know, you have to figure out where, where you're going to eat and transportation and, you know, people's schedules and all kinds of logistical things. And so being able to make something that is so, like I pick up the phone, my sister, we're living together, so I just told her, hey, let's make this movie. <laughs> And I, I, we talked for five minutes, we went, we shot some things. It felt like we didn't even do it at the, we, we shot one day the, um, she has two little kids, so she didn't have that much time anyway. But so we, we shot one day the images, I edited the images and then I went back to the house and I did the sound recording. So I've never done this before. And it was also very enjoyable to just be alone in the house. And I recorded like the, the steps, the, mm. I was with my sister again. And anyway, so it was like a super nice process of like doing something when I felt I was not going to do anything. It, it was really, and I, my, my films are very simple generally, but, mm-hmm. but they still have complications. And right. it's still, yeah. Yes. So this was kind of nice <laughs> to just be able to, to do something with, yeah, that felt like we're just mm-hmm. hanging out. So it was kind of, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Would you consider now maybe even like make ha- have you thought about maybe even making like a longer film with the similar kind of even more pared down process? Or are you looking forward to sort of getting back to more your regular process? I mean, it's strange because there's I always feel that my regular process is super pared down mm-hmm. and really 
easy to do because it kind of is, but it has to do with the length of things, I think. Because mm. many of the, there are scenes in my feature films that are as simple to make as that short film. But it's like, I think the accumulation of things, the fact that I, I, I go to different locations, the fact that then I write things that new other characters intersect, or, you know, so, suddenly things that could have been easier became a little bit more complicated because of a matter mm -hmm. of time, perhaps. Or maybe I'm just deceiving myself and there is a way to make things <laughs> like, like that are super, super simple. But <laughs> I guess, it's pared down enough already that I feel I don't need to mm -hmm. push that sure. even further. It's okay. I mean, it's it's great when that happens. I don't like being bothered necessarily, but I do like working with several actors and things like that. So. All right. Well, uh, thanks. I think the, the film is pretty short, uh, so I'll keep the interview short too. I guess last question. Uh, are there yeah, beyond as the length of the <laughs> <laughs> beyond uh, Toronto? Do you have any future distribution plans for the film, whether it be other festivals or uh, looking to make it more available? I mean, first, it's going to screen a couple festivals in mm -hmm. Mexico because it hasn't mm -hmm. shown there. I think it's going to show on TV in Mexico for like a lot small period of time, okay. and. And then there's a couple of other festivals in South America and in, I think, screening in, in Korea as well, in a festival. So it's a couple of festivals still. Mm -hmm. It premiered already in Punto de Vista, the, the festival right. I commissioned it in, mm -hmm. I think that was earlier this year, I mean, in the spring sometime. And so it has screened a couple of times in Spain, I think, because that's where the festival is. And so it's screened a few other festivals there. Mm -hmm. But... Um, because it was this commission, at first I wasn't sure if the, if oh, the films yeah. would screen outside of the, because it's several films. And so mm -hmm. I never sent it to anybody. So it only screened at places because people saw it, saw the commission. Uh -huh. And so some people started emailing me about it and mm -hmm. said, like, can we look at it? And so I was, unlike my other films where I send it places right. and contact people, this one was more like some people were contacting me. And anyway, mm -hmm. so... I didn't have big plans, but it, it is screening more than I thought. So Okay, cool. All right. Well, uh, again, uh, thank you much, so much for being here. Thanks so much for having mm -hmm. me. All right.